0: Welcome to Sundial on WLRN during our winter membership drive. I'm Leslie Ovalle-Adkinson, the lead producer on the show. And today we're replaying some of our most memorable episodes of the year. Author Winston Bingham's latest book caught our attention. It's a sweet story about a grandmother and granddaughter getting out to vote. It's inspired by her own childhood. I'll let host Carlos Frias tell you the rest.
1: It was something her whole neighborhood did together when she was growing up in Fort Lauderdale. They would go door to door to rouse their neighbors and get them all to go to the polling station together. It shaped her childhood, and now she's hoping that experience can help show other children the importance of voting. Winsome's latest book is called The Walk. It's a beautifully illustrated children's book that tells the story of a grandmother taking her granddaughter to knock on doors in their neighborhood to get out the vote. Winsome taps into her childhood for her award-winning work. Her last book, Soul Food Sunday, was named one of the best children's books of 2021 by the New York Times. It tells the story of a young boy who helps his granny cook for the family. Both those books reflect her background. She was raised in Jamaica and immigrated to Fort Lauderdale where she was raised in a black and Caribbean neighborhood. Her time in the military led to a career as a teacher and a writer. Now she uses her writing to teach kids important lessons about family, community, and civic action. Welcome Winsome.
2: You made me seem like I'm larger than life, and I'm loving it. You, you are larger
1: than life. You're an amazing, it's amazing what you've been able to do with it. And, thank you know, you. Um, thank you so much for coming in. Oh,
2: thank you for having me. It's, this is a blessing, and I'm grateful and humbled and honored, definitely.
1: Well, we're not only grateful to have you here, but we have your mom in the control room back there.
2: Yeah. You want to
1: give a shout out, Mom?
2: You know, she knows I drag her with me where I go. <laughs> I <try to. laughs>
1: What's your mom's name?
2: That's Barb.
1: Barb. Well, I imagine uh, you can tell just from the writing of this book and from your background that she had not just a huge influence, and the fact that she's here today, she has such a a huge influence on you, but also on your writing and your, and the choice of writing.
2: Well, she did. She, uh, yeah, she did. You know, my family, like I said, we're immigrants but we're also Americans mm-hmm. we walk on both sides of culture an American culture and a Caribbean culture and people ask all the time who's the better cook I'm an excellent cook
1: she's so <laughs> much better than I am so much better
2: so, yeah I got you you know you have to give props okay. you know when it's due and 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 both of those
1: things like so much family family and being and like you're talking about bringing people together both those things are at the heart of, of the 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 two the two books that we mentioned.
2: I def yeah. I was a teacher for years. I grew up in Fort Lauderdale. I I went to graduate Fort Lauderdale High School. Mm -hmm. Joined the military here in Miami. i Left out of here. Came back home, went to University of South Florida. And when I graduated University of Florida, I started teaching Broward County schools. So my first teaching was at Walker Elementary. And then I moved to William Dandy Middle, where I actually taught ROTC before I became an ESC specialist. Because oh, I was wow. in the military.
1: So because your background in the military. Yes. Made yeah. And
2: they needed an ROTC person. So I taught ROTC there. And then um, after that I went to I taught at Piper High School.
1: Oh yeah, of course. So having teaching kids at that age how did that how did that tie into the, the the writing that you're doing? in other words, your writing could have taken a lot of different courses but you you decided to focus on children's book of this age, picture books so, why did you feel like that was an important way, an important age to address kids mm-hmm. and a good way to address them?
2: Well, here's the crazy part. All my life, looking back and reflecting, I realized I should have been a writer long time ago. I shouldn't have been a writer at 50 years old because I'll be 52. So I should have been a writer at 50. I should have been a writer a long time ago. But that's another thing when you're in immigrant families to them. It's a doc, doctor, lawyer, teacher. Like, no, what they don't consider the art a job because they don't know what that can be, right? There's such that, a thing that can a, be
1: a whole career. Yeah.
2: yeah. People, they don't think of that. They think of a starving artist. Right. And so I feel like. No, yeah, there's and, no
1: starving lawyer. Uh, that's, that's, right. not, that's not a shame. And no
2: starving surgeons, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> right. The starving surgeon.
2: But But on the art side, there is. Now, for me, when I taught in Virginia, mm-hmm. when we taught in Virginia, the state of Virginia went to what they call alternative assessment, and it was for the students with learning disabilities to still master the skills and concept mm-hmm. that the State Department of Education put in place, but they might not have the cognitive ability but I have to show that I ha- they have some form of mastery. So they will give you a set of strands like main idea, inferences. Well, what I started to do was use those skills to create these sheets for my kids to teach them. So we use stories.
1: Oh, so you were you were you were organically already doing some of these things that you're that's the heart of your work with your books?
2: Yes, I started using it. And then when my kids started responding to it, I was like, oh, okay, I got something here. And then other teachers like, you know, such and such did this and we need to figure out a way how to like modify behavior. So then we started putting more of the kids into it and just use those stories as a reward on Fridays. You know, they get to, to be a, a book all about them, their story, They get, and it was very beneficial. But still for me, it wasn't until the Department of Veteran Affairs, the VA in mm-hmm. Saint Pete, I have I suffered from PTSD mm. and I went to the VA for help for services and part of my therapy, my therapist wanted me to get back to what I enjoy doing. And so every week you have goals, and so my goals were bowling because I still love to bowl. Hmm. To just be able to get out when you know when you're not feeling well, sure, and do something that you love. So it's bowling and writing. And so I went back to started writing again. And my therapist was like, you know, you should do more of this. You're actually, good. But then it's it's when I realized that when I was writing, I was in such a good place, such a good state of mind.
1: Wow. So you had to kind of give yourself permission to start doing that. When you say you should have been writing all along, give me an example, like when you were a kid, was it, when did you, looking back now, what? Why were you seeing the world with the writer's eye?
2: Right, because when I was in eighth grade, I wrote at Sunrise Middle School, I wrote this story that Miss Centrone, that was the reading teacher, thought was oh, just the best thing. Oh, shout out to Miss
1: Centrone, okay.
2: <laughs> the best thing in the world. And then when I was in ninth grade... What was um, that
1: story? you got to give me that story.
2: It was a story about a boy uh, and a rolling calf. It was like um, this boy... Went out and he got this rolling calf. That's this mythical creature on the island, and no one can catch him. He tricked the rolling calf, and then he they killed the calf so they can have the best beef in the whole world. Oh,
1: that's so funny. And is that <laughs> that's a mythical creature from which Island? From I don't
2: from, know. My grandmother used to tell us. Your grandmother used
1: to tell you those these stories.
2: stories about rolling calf in Jamaica, and you know they're they're like these wild cow, but they're invisible. So I don't know. I, yeah. I,
1: so you <laughs> you have to have somebody early on that recognizes. The ability is to storytell, right? My
2: great-grandmother, she's buried here in um, in Fort Lauderdale. She passed away in 2014. Mm. But she, when we were all on the island, she would sit us down and tell us stories. If it was a blackout, everybody would sit under that mango tree, and she would tell us, you'd be so scared to move, And looking back as an adult, I'm like, maybe that was her way of keeping us safe. So we're not roaming around in the dark, but she was this amazing storyteller. Even a few months ago, I was with my cousin in the Bronx and I'm like, I need you to remember some of those stories she used to tell. Maybe I could do an anthology, mix them around a bit, but she told Amazing stories, and I was always captivated by stories.
1: Well, that image that you just painted—I uh, I guess having a blackout. I guess every go, everybody goes outside where it's not—it's not as hot. Tell me, tell me about those times. Those clearly were formative for you.
2: Well, definitely. You know, when you grow—now we have the internet and all this stuff. But mm-hmm. back when I was growing up in Jamaica, we had two radio stations and one TV station. The TV signed on from six p.m. to ten p.m. Right. The radio station was JBC Jamaica Broadcasting and an RGR I don't remember what that that stood for but it was very limited of what you can see and what you can do. We we stayed outside a lot. We climb, we race. I feel like whenever I'm watching, you know, um, world track meet, everyone's like, "Have a Jamaican crew." I'm like, "Yeah," because we had nothing else to do but to <laughs> to watch to, the
1: track meet, to yeah. run
2: and play and and just you know, we we're running all over the island. And what, so,
1: what years were these, more or less?
2: In the eighties. In, in the, 80s. the I came here, in, here in the early eighties, so this was in. I grew up in the seventies and eighties. We didn't have. We stayed. We literally stayed outside.
1: So you guys would literally gather around under the mango tree?
2: Yeah, when it has blackout. And back then, everything was unstable. Electricity yeah. was unstable. It's an island, so you have hurricane season from what, April to November. Mm-hmm. And when those are bad weather, they knock the, the the electric lines down. You don't have power. And my grandmother used to say only two type of people roam at night, and Ghost was one of them, right? So, <laughs> so for for us, you know, when we have blackouts, she would gather us on the veranda or under the mango tree. She would tell us stories. Mm. And that was her thing. And that was my thing. It it led me to, like, reading books and just escaping. I am a big reader.
0: That was author Winston Bingham speaking with host Carlos Frias back in September. Her latest book is called The Walk. It's a children's book about a grandmother taking her granddaughter out to get the vote. Still to come, she tells us about how voting played a role in her life after coming to this country from Jamaica. If you like interviews like this, remember your contributions to Public Radio help us make your favorite shows like Sundial. Here's how you can help. See our show notes for more information on how you can donate. Welcome back to Sundial on WLRN during our winter membership drive. I'm Leslie Ovalle Atkinson, the lead producer on the show. Let's get back to our conversation with author Winston Bingham. Her latest book is called The Walk. It's a children's book about a grandmother taking her granddaughter to get out the vote. Sundial host Carlos Frias spoke with her back in September.
1: Tell me about kind of being ra- like how being raised in Jamaica with your grandmother and that kind of lifestyle conform kind of to who you are, you know?
2: Well, raising, being raised in Jamaica and come to America, I'm just gonna have to say it. I tell people, and I mean this, whomever is the branding and marketing person for America, they're doing their thing.
1: Wow, because they, they, they had it, uh, they, they convinced folks.
2: What? And when you and I've talked to other authors from other countries and when you live on an island or you live outside of the us us is painted as this place where you can walk down the street and the sidewalks pay will go mm. you don't have to worry you'll be okay and you come here and the struggle is real wow. like it is so, and, you know, and, and it's interesting. It's interesting because no one tells you that there's a struggle. You're just thinking that you're going to go there and you're going to be rich, and everyone who lives in America is rich. Like and, you won
1: the lottery, basically.
2: Yeah, and, and it's not the case. You know, it's not the case. What
1: led to the decision of you and your family? Family leaving it. You were twelve, thirteen. Well,
2: I came here at twelve, but my family was already here. They came the same reason um immigrants come to America for a better life, to have something more than what they have, to have access to jobs and those things. And you know, I came here, went to middle school, I was middle school age. I went to school, graduated, went to the army, another opportunity, another marketing strategy. If you join the army, you travel the world, you go to college, and life will be great.
1: You you bought everything they were selling. <laughs>
2: because they gave it to me. I
1: didn't know any better, right?
2: You're a kid, you're taught one thing, and then you get to the army, you realize that's not even the case, right? And you, and you were
1: coming from a place where you were really part of the community and part of the culture. You were talking about your great-grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, how important was she in in your life as far as your love of books and and it sounds like creating culture for you guys
2: well i one of the, so one of the things for us is growing up with a great grandmother uh she live in a house with cousins family they emigrate to the US and England and Canada and they work hard and they send money home so you can go to school and you can learn everybody makes sacrifices but you don't realize that as kids mm. and i think that's one of the things i reflect on the walk that i didn't realize that when you're growing up and everyone is going to go vote was such a big deal mm. you didn't know the adult you, put on your shoes and come so you just put on your shoes you stop at the door go go let me never know so we're outside and you go now we're in the street and all right baby i'm coming like you don't know you have no sense of that.
1: And was that the case for you in Jamaica? Was that that kind of um, back or did that start when you get got here? I felt
2: it? like that started. I don't remember growing up about voting in Jamaica, mm. like because in Jamaica, I remember barely that you had two parties and it was really separated where you live. You're one thing just understanding that as a kid. Mm. But it's coming here. As little kids where people just do that, that's what they're supposed to do. Mm. And so when people, when you're with the grownups and they say, well, okay, put on your shoes and come. You just put on your shoes. You don't ask where you're going, how long you're going to be there. You're a kid. You do what you're told. <laughs> right. So now I see kids like, well, what do we do? Wait, and we're like, even the old people like, wait, what? You, you're talking back? because we're not used to that. We're used to growing up and people just said, Let's go. You do that, and you just do it. You don't question what you're doing. You just do it. And that was a, for, for us. School was out. They couldn't leave you alone at home. And so when they're going to to go vote, everybody going. And so the kids are walking, and we're racing, or you do know, that, and go. Somebody go go tell such and such. And to them, to me, it was just you know friends, because you live on this on the the block where everybody know everybody and everybody do things i did not realize until i was older like what was really happening i didn't realize that
1: which is that they were creating this community or
2: well not even some of their career like they were going that day those times we do that they're going to the school in the park to vote Mm. didn't realize because i would oh so there's this one (laughs) lady i don't know if she's still alive but it was weird to me because she always would come with her walker and she was slower than everybody. And I'm thinking if your feet hurt, like, cause I'm a kid. So I'm thinking as a kid, (laughs) Right, right? right? If your feet hurt, why you not stay home? Why you have us in the sun walking forever taking so long? Cause we're kids. We don't know any better. And now looking back like, Oh my gosh, it must've been so important that, her feet hurt, and she's still pushing the walker up the street to go and vote.
1: And there, there is an older lady with the walker that's in your right. book. And so it's like it's those you're telling a story to yourself as a kid.
2: Well, now because I'm reflecting, yeah. mm-hmm. but you, and that's what I'm saying with, and I, I, I tell people all the time, right. Once someone, Andrew Wang, who won um, the New Bear, it's like, the, it's like winning a Grammy, mm-hmm. and she did a blog post and she says, you know, I'm just wondering, there's no tension in this book, you know, and good stories have to have tension. Yeah. And I said, I disagree. Good stories, they're cultures that don't use tensions when they tell their story. They just tell a great engrossing story. And I said, but the tension in this book is there, right? Because the little girl keeps asking them, are we there yet? Kids <laughs> have no concept of time. right? And you know this because if you have kids, you're driving, are we there yet? You're like, no, we'll be there in 15 minutes. Then two minutes later, are we there yet? <laughs> no either time. right they have no concept of time this right. little girl have no concept of time right. and then she's and I said but there's also tension from the grandmother right because if you look at what's happening even then and it's happening now to see that they make it's harder for communities to have access to voting there's this stress and this tension of Who's gonna get my voice, right? Because mm. when we vote, we allow people to speak for us. Mm-hmm. And two, will it count? So it might not seem to you that there's tension, but just knowing. It's like someone comes and they tell, the doctor tells you, no, you're gonna to have to have surgery, such. You are, you're stricken with anxiety because mm. you don't know what's gonna happen from that. What would the result be? Or he says, you know, do this test and I'll come back. And the whole time you take the test, you're worried. Mm. Right? There's this intrinsic tension. It might not show outward, but you can feel it.
1: And is, is writing a way that you help kind of dispel some of that or kind of put that into, into a context?
2: You're absolutely right. It is the way for me to put it in a context, to see for what it is. Mm-hmm. Because if I wasn't writing, I don't think I would even go back to those childish moments that I had, those lived experiences, and, you know, evaluate what was happening at that time.
1: Right. And, and writing this book, your your previous book, Soul Food Sunday, I uh, was named, you know, was a notable book by the New York Times, yes. um, and it that one was different. One of them is very family oriented, and the other one is civic. But I can't help but feel like those two things are linked, right?
2: But they are linked, right? right? Because even though it's civic, mm-hmm. it's a it's family, right? Yeah, it's a grandma and it's, her granddaughter. That's yeah. right. It's family. And so we think about it. these moments. They're just lived experience. Soul Food mm-hmm. Sunday is a lived experience, right? There's a family in the kitchen. They're cooking. We all know what that is for families. Whether you're Black, Italian, Hispanic, it doesn't matter. You come together over food. You're talking trash. You're cooking. You're laughing. <laughs> you're having a good time. So there's this love with Soul Food sunday yeah you can feel that the tone has shifted because the tone shifted because in some way i shared this with my therapist and i guess i'll share it with you all i felt like i missed something hmm. because in this moment looking back i see where i was being a brat i felt <laughs> right because you know you see someone with a walker you're a kiss, and you're like why she, if you feed her stay home like <laughs> why do you think you need to go not realizing it was bigger than that
1: right
0: that was author winston bingham speaking with host carlos frias back in september still to come she tells us how writing books for children helped her overcome ptsd if you like interviews like this remember your contributions to public radio help us make your favorite shows like sundial here's how you can help see our show notes for more information on how you can donate (music) Welcome back to Sundial on WLRN during our winter membership drive. I'm Leslie Ovalle Atkinson, the lead producer on the show. Let's get back to our conversation with author Winston Bingham. Her latest book is called The Walk. It's a children's book about a grandmother taking her granddaughter to get out the vote. Sundial host Carlos Frias spoke with her back in September. And Winston told us about another book she's working on.
2: I have another book coming next year called Missing Mama. And it's about a little girl dealing with a mother with PTSD. Mm. And my son said, who is an Air Force veteran, he said to me, you know, I'm glad this is a girl in this book. So now I can distance myself because this was his moment living with me, a mother with PTSD and not know it. Oh, right. Because. If I, I didn't acknowledge that I had trauma, I didn't know I had trauma. I knew something was wrong. I knew there were times I didn't feel well, a lot of times. But I've also was taught to be strong, shake it off, and keep going.
1: Right, and the whole idea of the military, you you went into the military right, right after school? 17 years old. What made you want to do that?
2: Well, my grandmother's like, you either go into college or you, going to, 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 or you need to do something. And the, you start working
1: right away or something.
2: Well, yeah. You, you know, which was crazy because mm-hmm. I had um offers from Murray State and Appalachian to run track. I ran track at Fort Lauderdale. Um went to state every year. And mm-hmm. but I needed something else. I started not like running. I felt like because I was Jamaican, it was expected. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you do. Our track team was like most of them were Jamaicans. And it was just what we did. But it stopped being fun. Mm-hmm. It stopped being fun, and so when the recruiter came and you know you can go to the world, you have money for a car, we we'll take. I was like, they why sold you not? the dream. Yeah. They sold me, and I bought it. I'm like, yeah. yes.
1: But you mentioned that there was a an experience during the military that was that led to you uh, undergoing yep. this PTSD. Is there any of that that did you can share a little bit about how that shaped you on the other side of that?
2: Well, you'll need to issue a trigger warning for your mm. your your listeners um i was i was sexually assaulted during mm-hmm. desert storm
1: wow wow that's yeah and, and i can imagine mm-hmm. that that was that completely just upended everything you expected from that that whole experience
2: it did it ruined me yeah because even though i was i got hit in the back of my head with a rifle and sexually assaulted oh, i have yes. a severe i have a brain um I have a traumatic brain injury, TBI, suffer from PTSD and anxiety. Like, I've. Uh, writing saved me, books saved me. It's been rough, it's been tough. I didn't even tell people for so long because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to to go about it, and I tried to deal with it, but if, if you're out there and you suffer from trauma, get help, because it's gonna eat you up.
1: Well, you found that that you tried to keep it to yourself, and, I, and, and that that just ate a hole in you. It it,
2: like. Yeah, it ruined me. It literally ruined me mentally, emotionally. I ended up in the VA, more than one of, under the different, you know, just, yeah, yeah. you know.
1: And so so really, like, that thats that self-examination, where we are now, it starts because of a, an examination and accepting of things that, that you lived through, that you survived.
2: Yeah, it's this lady. She was in the VA and here at um, Bay Pines. Her name is Dr. Roma Falson. I hope you can send her this because she, I felt like she helped save me. She kept saying to me, she said, you need to understand God is not finished with you yet. You still have to live your purpose. When are you going to accept that? Wow. And I felt like that was the turning point for me because when you're when you suffer from trauma and you suffer from depression, it's hard to get out of it.
1: Yeah, it's hard to see. It's hard to see yourself in that position. And we're so sorry you had to yeah. go through something like that. You know, um, especially now that you 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 know your your work is so much about touching into these emotions mm-hmm. that that force you to work through some of the, those things. I would imagine.
2: Yeah. It does. It does. I want to cry. And I, I didn't know we were going there today. I guess this is my therapy for the week. So I let my therapist know she can take Friday off. (laughs) (laughs) But it, it did. If it wasn't for this doctor, Dr. Roma Palsan, maybe I should find her and send her some love. And um encouraging me to listen, you have a purpose, you know, that was, you didn't do this, this didn't happen because of you, this happened because of people that were mean people, you know. this
1: was not your fault.
2: This was not, but it's hard when you are a victim of trauma, Mm -hmm. you think it's your fault because... Why would it happen to you? You must've been doing something. And it could be that we're conditioned to think that when things happen to us, it's because of our actions, right? When the reality wasn't our action, it was a very violent crime. And then as you pay attention to the military, you realize it's so many and it's crazy to me because the whole time you're thinking it's just you and it's thousands and thousands and thousands and it's crazy.
1: Yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit about kind of rebuilding your life after that. You know, yeah. you you have an experience of like that and it clearly this is something that you continue to to work with uh, over the years because mm-hmm. of course um, how did you then decide that you wanted to turn your life towards teaching?
2: Well I got out of the military, held on to my trauma and went to University of South Florida and I've always taught but I was a walking depressive. Like everyone would say "Oh, she's such a great teacher and she's this and Teachers like you are the best teacher I've ever worked with, but I was going home just staying in my bathtub and not coming out till it's time to go to work, being depressed, not getting out of bed. Like, I have, I'm I I take meds, I'm on meds, I advocate, it keeps my sanity, but I work hard at just trying to stay positive. I work hard at just being present mm-hmm. in the world, and I am honored that these things are happening to me, that I can write a book, and my first book, The New York Times Thought It Was So Great, that it's the best book of the year, Fantastic! and then write a book, The Walk, that comes out tomorrow, but yet we're already in our third printing, like these things yeah these are a blessing but I cultivate and I work hard you know and I I try my best and I still go to therapy and I call in to make sure when I'm Anxiety, or I'm feeling in a dark place. I call my therapist and I say, I need help. I can feel it. Something is not right. And she's saying, Well, you should try to live in this moment, but I can't live in this moment because you don't get better because your books do well. Mm -hmm. Right? When you have something wrong with your brain, something is wrong with your brain. It's not that it's going to get better. Yeah, I have stretch where I feel like. Yeah, I'm okay. But then when I don't feel like I'm well, it takes a long time to to get back into the swing and into the groove of things. Right.
1: You mentioned that that books. Well, you're like you said, you're wearing your their hoodie that says "Books Save Your Life." Yeah. You said your therapist helped you. She brought picture books into you as a way to help relate. And obviously that connects to what you're doing now. Tell me yeah, about that.
2: Definitely. Well, because also with a traumatic brain injury, it f- even though people are like, oh, Winston's so smart. She has all these degrees. But there were a time when my speech muzzled. Mm. And so I feel like I was losing my brain power. But early on, it was tough. I skipped. It missed the people that was around me every day. They didn't notice that I started talking less and that my brain wasn't, you know, gathering my my paragraphs Mm. or making sense. And so she started coming back, bringing picture books, stories, because they're complete stories. They're thought process. They're able to put stuff together to rearrange and... She was really good about that, and I just started getting a love for Because when I was growing up on the island, I don't remember ever reading a picture book. About- I read Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys because my great great grand aunt would get up every morning and read them.
1: Same. We had our, our library at school was stocked with a lot of Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys, so I, I came up with those as well.
2: Yeah, so those were the, the books for me. But when I started teaching kindergarten, I would use picture books for to teach my students how to read, how to tell stories, how to recognize the book, the text, you know, how to put, you know, beginning, middle, end, like and I just started love them. And I, I collect them because I love them. And you can learn so much from them. They're not just written for kids. I tell people, picture books for everybody.
0: That was author Winston Bingham speaking with host Carlos Frias back in September. Her latest book is called The Walk. It's a children's book about a grandmother taking her granddaughter to get out the vote. And that's Sundial for Tuesday, December 5th. Our producer is Elisa Baena. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News. Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. Peter J. Merritt is WLRN's vice president of radio and Sundial's engineer. Engineering our board operations is Richard Ives. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at GoPalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program, search WLRN Sundial on your podcast tabs. Coming up tomorrow on the program, Kenneth Jessel tells us how he went from being the first in his family to go to college to becoming the president of Florida International University. I'm Leslie Ovalle Atkinson. Always
1: good vibes.